If you're an Android user who's worried about your neighbors, well, probably don't snoop on them. Use the Nextdoor app. <laughs> if you decide to snoop on them, what you should do is download the Podcast Republic app so you've got great podcast entertainment while you're spending too much time creeping about what your neighbors are doing, who are probably people you should leave alone, to be honest. Or just introduce yourself to. Yeah, also fine to just like walk over and say, hi, my name is so-and-so, and it's nice to meet you. Uh, But if you'd like to have something to listen to while you're snooping on them with your military-grade gear, check out the Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store. There's thousands of great reviews and many great features, so take a minute, check it out, and see if it's the right podcast app for you. That's the Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store. It's Thanksgiving, which normally gets shoved aside in the holiday mad rush to the back of the line. This year, (laughs) this year, things are a little bit different. Uh, Holidays are going to be weird for a lot of folks. We hope that you're doing okay. We hope that you're safe out there. Uh, And this is a weird segue to do those nice platitudes about hoping you're well to just transitioning into asking (laughs) you to be, you know, to support the show financially. But that's what I'm going to do very quickly here. In case you missed it, uh, we've got some new Patreon stretch goals. We've got a new bonus Christmas mentary that will definitively not be related to Christmas in any way. That is a ground rule for it, but it's just a small little bonus treat. So all Patreon folks are getting a little bonus in December, and that's one of our monthly bonus episodes for the $5 tier folks as well. So there's a lot of content coming to the Patreon, patreon.com slash dissecting the eighties. Check it out. See if there's a tier that works for you and get some bonus episodes of the show to give you something to listen to during these bleak hell months ahead. That's patreon.com slash dissecting the eighties. Welcome to Dissecting the 80s, the 99th most popular film review podcast on the American iTunes store. Don't fact check that. It was like a fluctuating thing, but I promise it's real. It was real. I am one half of the mega podcasting powers, Trip Lano. With me, as always, is my tag team partner, a man who definitely, definitely would want to rear window one of his neighbors if given the opportunity, the Macho Mandrew. Andrew Lano. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have... It's the way my apartment is set up, that, like, I, I, my windows look into a wind tunnel, so it's not really great for, for people snooping. Well, like I said, it's 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 like an idea of being Jimmy Stewart, less this than it is being Jimmy Stewart. Is that Stewart. Jimmy Stewart? In Rear Window? Yeah. I haven't seen Rear Window in a minute. Yeah, it's 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 Jimmy Stewart there. So wait, isn't that Jimmy Stewart is the same guy from Clarence, right? Yeah. I'm in a Hitchcock movie. I did not know that was him. Alfred. Alfred. Huh. I'm in a wheelchair. Huh. Noted. Yeah. Anyway. We are celebrating a holiday we love, T. Thanksgiving, with a director that we also love, Joe Dante, Ugh, Joe and Dante. doing The Burbs, so you know what that means. We gotta go back. We gotta go dissect the 80s. It's your nosy neighbors. Some guy about about your nosy neighbors. When the mega powers explode. <laughs>
So we start with this Beetlejuice-esque push-in The here. score is very Danny Elfman, speaking of Beetlejuice. It, it is, it is. It's Jerry Goldsmith behind the, the keys and instrumentation, but it has a lot of Elfman vibes. Uh, apparently also uh, they used his score for Patton, a bunch of notes from that for the guy Rumsfeld, the that. Bruce Dern character. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but we... We start with Tom Hanks investigating his neighbors who have this like kind of alien spaceship-esque power surge thing happening and a lot of wind flying around. And he's like trying to figure out what the heck's going on over there. Uh, And then we cut to this great. This is, I feel, one of the best opening couple of minute montages. Yeah. Not just on the podcast, not just in the 80s, but like ever. You get so much detail about all these characters in such quick succession. And it doesn't feel exposition-y. Right, right, right. It's everybody going about their normal morning routine. They're picking up the paper. Bruce Dern's Rumsfeld character is putting up his American flag with his way too young for him wife. But like all the character interactions are perfect. It kind of reminds me of... um, Not necessarily. It's sort of similar to um, Edward Scissorhands. The way, yeah, I would say the way they sort of like paint the um, the pastel suburbia in that—that it's sort of like very routine, right? And I would I would say these movies are kind of spiritual cousins in general. Oh yeah, because they're in the same. They're both about the hellscape of suburbia, et cetera, et cetera. It feels so backlotty, and I feel like that's a oh, it's it's definitely the backlot. It's definitely yeah. But I I was gonna say I was like I don't know the last movie I saw that I was like this feels kind of like a backlot. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's 100%. This is the Leave it to Beaver set, actually. And the, apparently the Desperate Housewives set. Yes, later the Desperate Housewives set. And also was... The Monsters? At least partially it, the Monsters, but also at least partially the Fright Night set, which we talked about in oh, the right. video, uh, as being connected that way. But you're 100% right. It's definitely a backlot set. However... I kind of like. Oh, I, don't, I don't think it's a bad <laughs> you know? thing. I was just noting. Yeah. that I don't know the last time I saw a movie and was like, "This feels like a backlot," which I'm sure yeah, knowing I, Joe Dante was a hundred percent a purposeful choice. It's the same way Gremlins has that like very backlot feel. Yeah, yeah. I was I was looking at some contemporary reviews of this, and I, you know, I we often will talk about whether Ebert liked the movie or not, and I feel like he. We, he and I didn't always agree on stuff, but if there was something that is like a little counterculture-y, a little weird, a little odd, and he gives it a strong review, that's usually a good sign. Like he loved both. Well, I'm not 100 percent sure on Tremors, but I'm pretty sure he loved Tremors, and I know he loved Anaconda. Oh, he and loved it's like, Anaconda. Yeah, yeah, and I and I that is to me, it's like we had a similar. Our taste didn't overlap on a broad sense, but there was a sliver in which me and Raj would have been good pals, mm-hmm. and it's like sitting down to watch Anaconda together oh, would have been the, one holds of those. Up. Oh, I, we just watched it for our uh, binge of horror movies in in October, which is that's not really a horror movie, but it's God, horror. John Voight's a- John Voight's John Voight's accent John Voight's makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> He's doing like foghorn leghorn but his mouth won't open all the way it's, it's just supposed like to be, the isn't weirdest it like supposed to be like creole or something or cajun well, it, so it comes off as cajun but my impression is that he's supposed to be paraguayan or wherever the movie takes place i thought i think it's paraguay i i'm i, I might be completely off on that but he is supposed to be 
a, a native of the country in which they are, which might also be Panama. Again, I did just watch it, but I forget which country <laughs> it is. So please, this is not... <laughs> This is not me being like, oh, I'm just like hand waving over to some other country. I just don't remember the detail. But I thought he was supposed to be a native of whatever country they oh, were maybe. filming. Oh, maybe. I never got that. Setting but... the movie in. But anyway, um, I don't want to get off track and talk about John Boy for 20 minutes because that will be a disaster. But anyway, Ebert did not care for this one. And one of the things he dinged it for was that this set looks like the back lot. And I agree with you. I feel like that's a deliberate choice. Yeah. Like they wanted this to look fake and manufactured and artificial to kind of sell it. It's much the same way Beetlejuice uses that to its advantage as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Although some of Beetlejuice was location. Right, right. I'm, I'm sorry. I more mean the... Um, the uh, Edward Scissorhands. Uh, yes, but Beetlejuice also uses the like model development as a thing, right. and that's what mm-hmm. I was thinking of, which is not the same thing. But yes, anyway, uh, I love this neighbor Walter with the t- horrible toupee, like really bad toupee. And I am a person who nine times out of ten, when a character in a show who is normally bald puts on a toupee and then wears it. And the the cast is always like, oh, my God, you look so stupid. Almost always. I'm like, no, they really don't. Like George and like, Seinfeld had a good toupee. We don't yes, talk about was, that enough, but he had a good they, toupee. They, they didn't give him a bad toupee. They gave him a good toupee. And like, if you're going to do a comedy toupee, it needs to be this guy's toupee, which is awful. Like, it doesn't match his hair. It sits on his head terribly. Or it needs but to be like one, only taped on one side so the wind can flip it. Right. But another one that I think is a perfect example of this, on The Office, when they went to the one, was it Pam and Jim's wedding? No. Yes. When Kevin wore the toupee on The Office, I was like, that's a good toupee. Kevin Baumgartner, or Brian Baumgartner, Brian Baumgartner, he looked good. I was like, oh man, that's a good toupee. It's a, it solidly matches your the hair that you have, you know, that he has this sort of monk thing going on. I was like, that's a good toupee. He looks great. And everyone's like, oh, look at you, clown with a dead cat in your head. It's like, you didn't give him a comedy toupee. You, have to you give just a made him a toupee if you're going to, yeah. Yeah. This drives me crazy. It's a personal pet peeve. So, like, this, this is a comedy toupee. This is a bad toupee. The co- character should comment on how stupid it looks. Mm-hmm. But he has this little frou-frou dog that runs over, takes a big old dump on Bruce Stern's lawn. So Chekhov's dog poop is a new one for the show. There's several I am certain. Chekhov's in this movie, actually. Oh, for sure, for sure. But the but the Chekhov's dog poop I thought was particularly delicious uh, in in its absurdity. Uh so the neighborhood we meet, I'll just kind of breeze through these here. We got Corey Feldman, who did you catch? I, I meant to ask you because I th- I watched this before you. Did he say like my parents are out of town? He says it or at something? one point. Okay, okay. Because I was like, for, at first I thought he was the chunky man neighbor's child. Sure. When we yeah, first because yeah, yeah. there's a one uh, like ten minutes, fifteen minutes in where like uh, Tom Hanks goes over and he the old the other the chubby neighbor and. Uh, Feldman are like drinking a beer. I was like, oh, it's a father and son. And then he calls him Mr. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you're not related and you're just hanging out drinking a beer on a Tuesday? That's okay. <laughs> I also couldn't tell how old Feldman is supposed to be because he was 18 he seems- at filming. Yes, but the character seems to be a little older, maybe. Like, this might be a college kid home on break. It's unclear to me. Yeah, I would think. I, would th- I think he's out of high school for sure. Yeah. So you got Bruce Dern with a disproportionately attractive wife. They're giving who, big um, the neighbors in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids energy here. 
Yes, 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 absolutely. The same kind of vibes. Uh, I also like, so I was, uh, I really like this movie, but I've seen it several times. I've so never I was seen able it. to, oh, oh, cool. That's awesome. I, I hadn't seen this in at least five years and I remembered liking it, but a lot of times, you know, years go by, you don't quite like something as much. And I was <laughs> about halfway through this, like, oh, I got to start taking notes. <laughs> like I'm not taking enough notes. So I try to do some more research. And at the end of filming of this, uh, Tom Hanks gave everybody a pair of sunglasses. I assume they were like nice sunglasses. But they, he, like, they all got along so well during filming, basically. Right, right. But he gave, uh, uh, he wrote everyone a handwritten note and, and gave it to them with the sunglasses. Is like, a, hey, it was good working with you kind of gift. <laughs> and to the, the actress who was playing Bruce Dern's wife, his note was like, I still don't understand what you're doing, but it was nice to meet I you. I don't understand. <laughs> I'm like, I'm watching this movie. I'm like, how do you not get it? Yeah, it's not confusing. She's playing a dumb trophy wife. It's like a pretty broad and, and it's, character. And I argue that it's not quite dumb trophy wife. It's just like resigned trophy wife. Yeah, fair. Okay, that's fair. She doesn't She isn't exactly, yeah, she doesn't get enough time on screen to be stupid, Exa- I suppose, yeah. is also more And her accurate. outfits are amazing. Like, her first outfit, yes. she's wearing, neg- like, like, cooter out negligee <laughs> with... Marabou kitten heels, just like walking around her neighborhood. And I was like, sure. They're walking out to they're walking out to put up the flag that they raise and lower yeah. every day with a ceremony. So that's that's Bruce Dern and her uh, father of Laura Dern, of course. Uh, the guy you mentioned already is is a comedian named Rick Duke Ducommon. I've I, I double check that I wrote that down correctly. I know him for uh, a bunch he, of stuff. The big one that, of course, would be relevant for the podcast is he's the guy who cuts the power to Nakatomi Tower and Die Hard. He's and, little, he's, like a, and he's in Spaceballs, and uh, he's one of the guards in Spaceballs. Yeah, real small part. And then, of course, uh, as many people who are our age would remember him from, the limo driver, I think, in Blank Check. Oh, yeah. and he's And he's Cindy's dad in Scary Movie. Right, right. He does the bit about the stuff growing out of guys' noses if you use the wrong baking powder or baking yeah. soda. I don't know. I don't. I don't remember what you're supposed to step on cocaine with, but whatever <laughs> you don't, whatever you don't, apparently causes things to grow out of noses. But he's excellent in this movie. He apparently beat out Rick Moranis, which I think is is a really interesting alternate universe version of this movie. I don't, I don't think it. I don't works think right. it works. No, no. And I love. No. I, I think this. I'm is, always here for more. Rick, like I want Rick Moranis to be in everything, every movie till the end of time. But I don't think that's the right role for Rick Moranis. Totally agree. This the the energy that Ducam Ducamon. I'm just gonna call him Rick because I I am not 100 sure to. Yeah, but the energy he brings is exactly what this movie needs. And I, the thing about this movie that really I love is how Tom Hanks, Bruce Dern, and Rick Ducommon become like three little boy idiots. Uh-huh. And, and they're and not friends. Like, they're not like, they no. would not hang out other than this. No, it seems like Bruce Dern is a guy they wave to. It seems like Rick and Tom Hanks's character probably share beers and yeah. looks like they share cigars. Like they have a, like a light social, you know, it's like they're, they're next friendly. door neighbors. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you keep up the appearances. You do a little social, this and that with the person. He also gives me, um, the, that camp counselor in 
heavyweights. Heavyweights. Yeah. Yes, I knew yes. where I was going. Yeah. 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 For sure. He does have a similar vibe to that actor. Uh, but what I what I really like about it, though, is this is a thing that I completely relate to. And I think a lot of people do. Like, there's a How I Met Your Mother episode about this very thing. Like, it's, I'm sure it's been on other sitcoms. But when you get hang start hanging around with people from your past you can often revert to like a certain energy mm-hmm. and i i i get the i don't get the impression these guys are childhood friends but i do get the impression that they're all able to slip into that stupidity very simply and so they all just build on each other and it's just it's a really great uh it's almost as if this movie is a pot boiler which is an absurd thing to say for such a silly movie but it does sort of have that vibe of like we start we start the movie by putting the pot of water on and cranking it to high and we just wait <laughs> and then eventually it goes crazy yeah you're right uh so that's the, the, the we got uh cory felbin bruce dern we got uh Rick Ducommon and then uh, Walter, the bad toupee neighbor. And then we have the creepy house, which is just so, so over the top in its design and implementation. It it feels like this neighborhood wouldn't have let this house get, because the new neighbors have only been there a month. That's established. Right. And this house is like, looks like it hasn't been lived in in eight years. I wondered if it was supposed to be like the previous owners died, some months went by, and then the house got sold. And in those months, like it just sort of like it was already kind of a Mm -hmm. house that needed help because it was an older couple that lived there. And maybe they're a little behind on their maintenance, you know, where it's like the house hasn't quite shifted into disrepair, but it's it's getting tired. And then that eight months of nothing or six months of nothing was enough to send it to there. I wonder I guess I, I never thought about this in our neighborhood growing up. Like if there was one house on the block that was sort of unbought and abandoned and was paint chippy and overgrown, what happens? Does like the neighborhood get together and like chip in to pay someone to do stuff? Not unless you have an HOA, really. It is. This neighborhood seems like they wouldn't have let it get this bad. Yeah, this neighborhood should have an HOA, but as we see, for example, later, the trash that gets spilled stays, stays on the street it's for the rest touch. of the movie. It's a yeah, it touch. really is. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, so we meet all the neighbors. We go inside Tom Hanks' house, and there's the, the queen herself, Carrie Fisher, who doesn't get nearly enough to do in this movie. Yeah, Joe Dante, come on. And also apparently was wearing a wig that was almost identical to her regular hair. I, re- I read that. <laughs> and I was just like, what is the point of that? Maybe she prefers that. So she doesn't have to like get it do styled. the styling. It, it's yeah. probably, it probably has to do more with that than anything that like you just pop on that wig and boop. Right. Uh, she gets a little bit to do. And I do like that. She doesn't get reduced to nagging wife. I like that. She is the steady hand. She's who's like an Andy McDowell. From. I feel like in the 90s, the her role was always the like housewife who's like, hey, are we sure? Uh, maybe. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I, I just feel like she gets a little bit to do and that she's like, my God, you three are morons. They're just people. We're going to go over there and have cookies. But I wanted her to have 10% more to I, do with this movie. I would have liked more screen time from her. 
Uh, and they have a kid, which uh, I was <laughs> Tom reading. Tom Hanks wanted really to cut from the movie. <laughs> he was apparently having like an all out fight with Joe Dante about this. And Joe Dante eventually had to be like, hey, Tom, we're keeping the kid in the movie. I'm not going to do this. But he was adamant that he was af- he was afraid that he was going to get like sort of typecast in a way, which is one absurd for a man. Uh, and two, he was my age. He's 33. And I was like, I don't think it- at that point he had his own son, I think, was like 12 years old really? <laughs> it's like you had a kid so he had he's he was married to someone before he was married to meet rita wilson mm. and colin hanks was like 12 i think he was yeah 77 i'm looking at it so he was born in in 77 oh wow so it's like i don't know i think it's not absurd that you had a kid at this age well, apparently he like didn't want to take the role because it was a dad and then joe dante like convinced him and then he was like okay well how what if we write out the kid yeah. Like he accepted and then was like, but what if, what if I'm not a dad? What if I was just a husband? Uh, and I, the other thing that's like, the reason why this movie made so much money and it opened number one in its opening week is it ended up coming out after Big, shortly after Big, mm-hmm. when he became the biggest star in the universe. And I do get how it's weird to go from, we've made this joke before of like, John Candy in Volunteers plays a guy in college and then in Summer Rental, which came out the same summer, he plays a father of three. Yeah. Ugh. Hollywood, man. Like, like, like two of them being teenagers, father, yeah. or one of them is a teenager, father of three. Um, anyway, this leads to a really uh, great bit of business. Tom won't go on vacation with Carrie. Although, frankly, it, I have to say, I don't know why Joe Dante was adamant about the child, because it's not like the kid does anything. Oh, Tom Hanks won the argument and the kid got sliced down to almost nothing. Like, absolutely, that's what happened. But, I, but I'm trying to imagine, like, a version of this movie where the kid is involved. And I'm like, why? Why would he? Right. Because what I find especially interesting is at the end of the movie, spoiler, spoiler, there's that, like, kind of walking off into the sunset moment. And it's and just Tom gone. and Carrie Fisher. And you're like, where's the kid? <laughs> He's still in the car with the dog. <laughs> they do a carousel of progress, and he just doesn't appear anymore after that. That missing child. Um, but so he doesn't want to go on vacation. Carrie Fisher is trying to convince him. He's taking this time off work. She's like, come on, we're going to go to the lake. And he's like, I don't want to sit in some moldy cabin. I just want to putter around the house. Which, like, hey, man, I get the energy. Mood. Under, nor- That's under, mood. Normal t- <laughs> under normal times, not the hellscape times. I get it, man. Sometimes you just want to putter. Mm-hmm. I get it. I'm a putterer. I had uh, a week between jobs. And I literally just yeah. stayed in. I didn't do anything. I was like, I'll do some crafting. Something like whatever makes me feel good. Didn't do shit. Yeah, it's like I just just farted around on Reddit and Twitter pretty much. Yeah, that was it. Video that was games. all week. Yeah. But Rick Ducamen, Ducamen comes over. I'm going to do that for this whole episode and hate myself. Ducamen, I'm deciding. It's Rick Ducamen, uh, who unfortunately passed away in 2015. He's only 62, really? which is crazy. Oh, yeah. But he comes over and just starts wolfing down the breakfast, including <laughs> Carrie Fisher walks by with the dog food. He doesn't know that it's dog food. He takes a big handful of kibble and just like, Oh, eats I it. missed that. Oh yeah. That's such a good moment. She, he's like scarving down these little sausages. She's got it under her arm. He grabs a big handful. He eats it and he just is instantly repulsed. But instead of spitting it out, he picks up the OJ and just starts like chugging, <laughs> knocking it down to get the, the taste out of his mouth. Goes into the um, fridge, then, gets some ribs. 
Yeah, yeah, he's got these ribs and a whole pineapple, which he doesn't even cut up. And I was like, I want to see him tackle this pineapple with a uh, butter knife that's on this table. Please and thank you. I want to see that continuity of the poor continuity producer who's just like (laughs) staring at it like, okay. (laughs) I I imagine a world in which, because a lot of this was ad, this movie was filmed with a writer's strike. A lot of it was ad-libbed. And I'm just imagining the scenario in which, you know, they're doing the scene and Rick grabs the pineapple and he starts to cut into it. And all of a sudden, someone yells cut and Joe Dante whirls around and is like, who, who called cut? And it's the, the continuity person who just takes the pineapple and throws it off the screen. <laughs> it's like, no, no, you're not doing this. So how much of the, do we know how much of this movie was truly scripted? So there was a script for, you know, A to Z of how the movie would go, but the, and so they were ready to start filming and then the strike happened and that affected the ability to have rewrites. So what Joe Dante did to get around it is he hired the writer as an actor. He has a little cameo as that. I believe he's the cop who gets the... Yeah, but I think he I believe the writer is the cop who gets the thing jammed in his car at the end. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I didn't verify that, but I I believe that might be him. But in doing so, he was able to be like, so uh, what do you think they'd do in this scene? And the guy could be like, oh, they'd probably talk about this. And then Joe could be like, hey, uh, the writer says you guys should talk about this. And then they would kind of do that. So it was like he can't write dialogue and being presumably a good member of his union he wasn't doing that but he was willing to like talk about this the broad yeah. stuff to get them through it but apparently a lot of rick Ducam and stuff is ad-libbed uh a couple of big moments are like tom hanks at the end with the stretcher that mm-hmm. was an ad-lib I heard that uh so there's like a lot of that stuff the little pieces of it the bruce Dern with the wallpaper which we'll cover in a bit yeah. was ad-lib so apparently a, a decent amount but i i would imagine it was more like the kind of uh, unscripted show where it's here's the scene and we need to accomplish this goal and we don't have, they probably had dialogue, but then it was like, okay, kind of free form to you get to a few where pieces we're going. Of dialogue, but not a lot. Right. Right. Cause I think they had a full script. I think it was the plus ups where it's like, you know, you do one take fully on the script and then the next take you change something. Mm-hmm. My impression and reading about it anyway. And if, if I'm wrong, somebody correct us on the Twitter. Yeah. Um, so he eats all this all this stuff. He's just scarfing these things down and gossiping uh, about the new neighbors and how weird they are. They're the Clopex and they only come out at night allegedly. Cuz Tom Hanks Oh, this is the one thing Tom Hanks' son does. He says, "Oh, I saw them with my telescope." Yes, yeah, and Tom Hanks is like, "Stop using your telescope to look at the neighbors." Subtext: Stop looking using your telescope to look at uh, Mrs. Rumsfeld undressing yes. because that's definitely what you're doing in a year or two. Well, this kid pretty young, maybe he's five years away. Yeah, I also like that this basically uh, it's a classic dad move of I'm I don't like this conversation anymore, so now it's over. Yes, exactly. This has gone a place I don't care for, uh, so it's just done. Yes. So outside, we've got Corey Feldman being just like the absolute shitheel kid that he is born to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just so good. Well, apparently his role was much bigger in the original. Yeah, and then yeah. And they did I, a bunch of reshoot. They did. It said they 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 changed about 20 minutes of film and ended up. So which ended up taking out five minutes and slashing Corey Feldman's part to like nothing. And I was like, wow. I will say it. 
I think he's in this movie exactly as much as that character should be in the movie. And it's not like, oh, Corey Feldman's bad and he's annoying. It's just that this 18 to 20 year old kid doesn't make sense to be hanging out with these old farts. Like Mm -hmm. it just doesn't line up. So I do think it makes sense. If he had been one of those like precocious teens. Like, sure. Yeah. Like a wearing like a suit or like wearing a button down. Like maybe I would buy it or. Yeah, or he doesn't even be, like, full-on, you know, uh, Alex P. Keaton, but he could just be, like, less of an idiot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this seems like a party boy, and a party boy ain't hanging out with old men. Oh. Like, unless they have beer, unless in which they, case he's hanging out to have beer. their beer. Yeah, yeah. Unless they look the other way at the block party when he steals, when he fishes a beer out of the, the igloo cooler. Exactly, exactly. The, the blue cooler's for the kids, the red cooler's for the adults. Oops, I grabbed a Coors Light. Oopsie. This is the moment where we, we meet one of the Klopex, and it's, uh, I Courtney wrote down Gaines. his name later. Thank you. I was like, I know it's, I know it's not typically a man's it's name. It's Malachi. He, yes, Malachi from uh, Game, or God, Children of the Corn. I almost said Game of Thrones. That would have been <laughs> I was nonsense. like, Game of Corn? Game of Corn. <laughs> Welcome to the Game of Corn. It's just sweeping shots of cornfields. Today's challenges. Popcorn and steamed kernels. No, it's stalks of. Have you seen the intro of Game of Thrones where, like, the. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah instead of, like, the castles rising out of the pop up book, it's just stalks of corn growing out of the ground. <laughs> and and they, like. And they, they then they pop. Like, <laughs> yes. Right off the stalk. It's like, pop, 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 pop. Mm hmm. Yes, uh, yes, Malachi himself is here, and he said that the night shoots for this took 10 years off his life because they were filming at three in the morning so often. He That's was what just ruined. the whole cast was like, this was awful because we thought, yeah. we thought we'd be filming during the day as a suburban movie, and so much takes place at night. Right, right. He, he's got a real Frankenstein's monster thing going on, and also corpse makeup, he's kind more of. He's Igor. Yes. I kept calling him Cletus Klopek, which they never, I, I, they may say his actual name, but it's for Hans. me it was Cletus. Yes, but for me it's Cletus, yeah. because he has a real Cletus vibe. Yeah, so he he comes out the front door, and it's this, I just, I love the drama and the camp of this scene. Yes. There's a crash zoom on every single, it's like that scene in Bob's Burgers, when he's like, in the Jaws parody episode, uh-huh, when he's uh-huh. like, this is all my fault. I have to do something. And the camera pushes in. And when Linda goes, what? It pushes in on her in the same way. <laughs> yes, it's like yes, everyone the- is staring at this poor teenager. And it's just these crash zooms and these dramatic musical stings. It's so great. Yeah, it's it's really lovely. I Literally, my note for this scene is, God, this is such good shit. It's just it's really, perfect. really good. Yeah, it's excellent filmmaking. I am surprised that this movie hasn't gotten remade. Uh, yeah, because it, uh, what I would love is the like glossy, hyper politically correct neighborhood that's got a black family and an Asian family and a white family and a lesbian family, and they're all living together happily. And there's the one weird neighbor, and then they all get together, and suddenly they're the crazy ones. Yes, the, the Dracula is the normal guy. Yes, exactly. Like that's what I want. Like I want the the super glossy new 2020 version of this movie. Yeah, yeah. I this leads to Tom Hanks and Ducommon and they're daring each other to ring the bell like little kids, which I really like. Mm-hmm. And 
then uh, there's a nice little gag where they like they bump something and the house is six six nine and it flips over to be six six six, which uh-huh. I thought was cute. Clever. But the, then they ring the bell and it, it busts through the wall and there's just a beehive that swarms. <laughs> and I just love the two of them doing the bees rolling around. Uh, I don't think you were there, but we once had we used to have a basketball hoop. I do. And. Well, I know you remember the basketball hoop, oh. but I'm, I don't think you're around for this specific story as I was getting to. I've been around for many was... dad bee, bee stories. <laughs> okay. Were you there when there was a beehive under the basketball hoop, like in the ground, but under the basketball hoop at the edge of the driveway? No, I remember the beehive at the playhouse in the back. Okay. So the beehive in the driveway, dad had his like bee killing goop or dust. It's a, it's whatever a powder. He so he would he would yes. get a long handled shovel and get a scoop of powder and be as far away from the bees as he could be to dump it on them. Well, he didn't have the long handled shovel in my memory of this, but oh, that no. seems that seems more right. But he got me to come help and he was like the hose was right by that garage door there. So our, our our driveway had, you know, our garage, there was a basketball hoop on opposite the house. And then there was a hose at the edge of the house at the driveway. And he was like, turn the hose on and you're going to be the defense against the bees. Like if they swore me, you can spray me with the hose. And even as a person who was like, not old enough to be giving this kind of input to dad on projects, I was like, this is not a good idea. <laughs> like this is a de- this is a deeply dumb way to go about this. But of course, I didn't say it in those exact words. But even at the time, I was like, "You want me to what? <laughs> like you want me to hold a hose and spray you as you get swarmed by a nest of bees? This seems really not good for you." It ended up being fine. There weren't many bees that came out, but I just remember being like me there with this hose like my dad's gonna get stung a hundred times before i can help him with this oh, water oh a hundred percent um but yeah they in the in the movie bruce Dern sprays them with the hose and 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 finally calms things down did you notice the little um fl- flashes of of purple on the screen the bees yeah mm-hmm they looked like almost confetti that was like just like floating in there. It yeah. was interesting. I, I'm, I'm curious how they did the bee effect. But I, I what I really appreciated was showing Bruce, I, I almost said Laura Dern. Bruce Dern, <laughs> like instantly jumping into action with his hose, being like, oh, come here. I'll spray you. I'll protect you. Because it, it really, it really sm- like shapes the world of like these are actual neighbors who get along and know each other. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that he like he watched the whole interaction, so he saw the bee thing happen and was like, "Oh, I have to help." Yes. And he does get it. Bruce Stern gets a few bits of physical comedy that I genuinely did not expect from a presumably about sixty year old Bruce Stern in this old? movie. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I would have guessed like he's in it. He's maybe fifty. Really, with that hair? Yeah, because that it, it reminded me of the da- the neighbor from Honey I Shrunk the Kids, and he, that dad's not that old. He's not like an old man. Bruce Dern was born in 36. This came out in 89. So that makes him 53. You're right. No. Six. You're right. Nope. Yep. I can't. I can't math. <laughs> so, so the bee, the bees get resolved. And then Tom Hanks and uh, Dukaman are, are drinking beers and smoking some stogies with Feldman. Yeah. He's not. Uh, Tom Hanks isn't allowed to smoke cigars in the house. Or yeah. near the house. Which is a, which very they, reasonable. They, they pose as like a nagging rule, but it's like, that is a complete, like, don't smoke your cigars in the house is a completely reasonable rule. It is. Completely. So he just smokes them at the neighbor's house. Yeah. And he, this, 
do do common telling this story of the psycho killer who lived in the town long ago has a real John Candy doing the killer bear of Clare yeah. County from Great Outdoors. It's he he really perfectly tells this story in a way that kind of makes you want to lean closer. It's, Frankly, he, John I, Candy is the only other per, like offhand. He's the only other actor I could picture in this in this role. Yes, I, I I do agree that that he he would have he would have been good here, but I think that the actor here Ducommon is a little bit more mean, like not mean like he would you know call you names or something, but he's a little more aggressive. He's a little more sharp. He's a little he's just a little more aggressive, okay. I guess. And I feel like what he brings makes this character work so well because you have to have the guy. He he is almost never the one actually taking a risk, right? Yeah. So there's a point where I guess I re- I think I realized that like half the two thirds of the way through the movie when I was like, oh, you don't do anything. You, you tell everyone right. to do it, but you don't do it. And then I was like, now I'm, exactly. now I'm mad at you. He's a shitster, and I feel that in a situation like this, you need a shitster. There's always, there's always going to be one in these kinds of environments yeah. that that make these things go up. Because ultimately, this movie is kind of the monsters are due on Maple Street. I was going to say that because I, ha- like I said, I haven't seen this movie before, and I purposely like didn't scroll too far ahead on Wikipedia to like spoil it. So the whole time I was like, are they aliens? Are they murderers? Are they vampires? Like what truly like is well crafted in that regard because you you, the whole time you're like, I don't I don't know what's going to what it's going to be. Right. I I think this movie is fascinating in in that way, because even as someone who has seen it before, there was a moment at the big climax where I was like, wait, is it? Is it that they are the bad guys or that they aren't the bad guys? Because honestly, even until the very last 10 minutes of the movie, either of those would be a fine yeah. conclusion to this story, which is difficult to do to, to, to sure. craft a narrative that has two completely opposite, completely satisfying endings available to it. It, it is a feat, frankly. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a that's a genuine challenge. So. He tells this great story, and I imagine, you know, obviously I don't know the guy, but I imagine based on watching him tell this story, he would have been a great Campfire Tales kind of guy who could just mm-hmm. really reel you in so you're leaning in on that fire and, and really anxious to hear where the story goes. And he talks about this guy who was an ice cream man, basically, who went crazy and killed his whole family. Not Clint which I, you know, Not Clint Howard. Different, different ice cream man. Uh, that one, unwatchable. I tried so hard. Yeah, I mean, I love Clint. It's it's the it's the kids that kill it for me, dude. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he tells this story of this like like family homicide that like this man killed his whole family, and he's like, and it took place in this very town. And I was like, well, hang on, that happened in this little like um, Pleasantville, basically. Right. Right. Uh, so they they wrap this up and then they immediately cut to it doesn't the timeline of this seems so weird to me because like cigars with the neighbor feels like either a right after dinner thing or a late in the evening. Thing. I got I got right after dinner vibes. But then they're watching Jeopardy and maybe Jeopardy airs at different times in different places. But Jeopardy at home was always like a seven o'clock show. And I was yeah, like, what do they eat dinner at five? They're an early bird special family, Tom Hanks and and uh, five and, doesn't and, feel early bird. Two like four, three or four is an early bird special. I don't think five is that early. Five's a pretty awful early dinner. 
Anyway, they do have a youngish kid. Maybe that affects it. But they're they're eating Freaks cereal. Did you catch that? Yeah. Uh, I, I assumed that was maybe part of the Monster cereal line. I don't know. No, I don't think I've I know my Monster cereal line. I don't think Freaks okay. is part of that. Maybe that was the is is the Monster cereal. Yeah, right. It's like the Kellogg's or General Mills opposite. I, I yeah, I think I think Monster cereals General Mills. Okay. Um, but apparently this was also an ad lib where they were playing along with a game of Jeopardy. It was a really cute, which is great. It was like a sweet, cute little like character moment where I was like, oh, look at them. R.I.P. Uh, Alex Trebek, by the way. Yeah, such a sad moment. So Dern, Hanks, and Ducommon are snooping, and they see uh, Malachi come out and put a body in a trash can and then hit it. Mm. Three or four hundred times with a stick. Yeah, it's this is where I was like, oh, I think they're aliens. And right. he like stuffs this. It's also suspicious because he um drives. He drives a car down the driveway to put something to put the trash in the trash can and then drives the car yes. back. And I wrote, why would that real a, big Andrew energy? No. <laughs> I wrote, I was like, why would you do that? And then the characters were like, that's suspicious that he did that. And I was like, oh, we were supposed to think it was suspicious. <laughs> yes, I was just making fun of you. So everyone thinks this is bodies. And then immediately we see them digging in the backyard really frantically. So ultimately, you know, spoilers for the end of the movie. And if honestly, you're 45, I don't know how long into this podcast you are at this point, but if if you're listening to this and you haven't seen this movie, it, I, I'm going to go ahead and tell you I'm recommending it. It's on Showtime and the Roku channel. Yeah, I would ads. watch it before you listen yeah. to this podcast. We haven't at this point. We haven't really ruined much. You might want to just turn this off and go watch it if you're if you're if you're like been convinced. Then come uh, back because it's yeah yeah obviously you got to finish it. But it seems like they just move the bones around for the whole movie. <laughs> like they're just constantly playing yeah, three card Monty. I that's the one of the few things that I was like I don't understand fully what we're doing here, right? Because it seems like they put the body in the trash can and then they're like, oh crap, the neighbors saw. So now we're gonna put the body in the backyard and then later we're gonna put the body somewhere else. And then later we're gonna put the. It's like they're just constantly, you know, like I said, three card Monty, like trying to move this around. Uh, but this leads to, of course, the delightful Dick Miller. It's a Joe Dante movie, so you we gotta see. Should have had him. more. Frankly, definitely should have had more. What I would have loved is if Dick Miller had been in the beginning shot as like as a neighbor the, or just like a garbage. garbage it's like garbage day in the, on the first day. Yeah, that would be good. You, you could have garbage day twice a week. That's not a weird thing. I'm, but I just I like I feel like for this neighbor, he could he I don't know. There's something there that I like. I mean, it's Dick Miller. That's the thing I like. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And he's alongside Star Trek's Robert Picardo, who is the other garbage man. Also, and the honestly, Yes, yes. I mean, many, many things. Robert Carter's got like a jillion credits. But honestly, these guys could be their own whole movie. They, they could. have this great chemistry together. It seems like they have this whole like I get the impression just from this, what, four minutes of scene time, maybe five, that these guys have been partners for 30 years. They're both, you know, closer to retirement than they are starting their jobs. And it's like, God, I've been working with you for so long. And they like each other, but they also are kind of like kinda one dumb. of those old kind of those married couples who are just like all right i've kind of had enough of this business yeah. like I, I you know they both need a month off basically and robert ricardo is citing supreme court cases about 
when trash is legally public property versus private property versus city property, which is a real thing. And uh, he's like, although they have a, once it's on the curb, they have a right to it. But uh, someone on the IMDb trivia helpfully was like, um, actually, once the garbage has been placed in the truck, it is legally city property, and therefore they wouldn't be able to go into the truck to search it. So your window for going through your neighbor's trash is once it's at the curb, but before it's right. been picked up. Exactly. But the, have you ever seen the behind the scenes of this moment? So they, they're all like digging through the trash. They make this huge mess. Dick Miller's really killing it. He doesn't have a lot in this movie, but his scene is out of this world. Great. Same for Robert Picardo as well. But he's like, ah, who's going to clean this up? And it ends up being Hanks, Ducommon, Bruce Stern, and then Corey Feldman comes over. Have you ever seen the behind the scenes of like just before they shot the scene with all of them? Oh, so you told me about this. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it because I posted it on Twitter eons ago, and I might I might have texted it to you too, but it was years ago that I saw this. But Corey Feldman is like scatting and bebopping, and like it seems like he was just listening to some music, and he's like singing the chorus of a song as he gets over there, and he's like kind of like you know dancing and being a little silly, and it seems like everyone is annoyed at him like not like getting down to business time, mm-hmm. and Dick Miller is trying to like, hey kid, will you shut the fuck up? We're trying to do some acting here. I it's love so good. It's just, it's such like an old timer line of just like, we're trying to do some acting here. It's like just such a beautiful thing. I can picture that. Yeah. From a guy who was like a real lunch pail actor, you know, who, who you know, did a lot of stuff and, and whatever. Um, the original if you haven't Seymour. seen. Yeah, absolutely. If you haven't seen Joe Dante's Piranha, I highly recommend it, if nothing else, for the outfits that Dick Miller wears as the Mayor Vaughn type guy. Holy crap, are they absolutely out of this world amazing. There's one that I posted on on our Twitter page eons ago, but he's got this like Western suit with a pink shirt under it, and it's just, oh my god, so good. Uh, Anyway... This leads to Tom and Carrie Fisher having a big fight, which honestly makes sense. Like she thinks her husband's a lunatic at this point. Yeah, it's still too er- it's still too early in the movie where I would be convinced. Yeah, yeah. Although I I I, I can't imagine at the point where you know the neighbor's house is doing the like noise that Tom Hanks isn't like, do you hear this? Like wake your wife up at that moment and be yeah, like, hey, you wake, do wake you see this? Up. Wake someone. Yeah. Up. At the point at which you think an alien craft has landed next door, it's okay to wake up a sleeping person. I think so. So they throw the garbage all around the street. Yeah, they throw the garbage all around the street, and there it stays for the rest of the movie because they couldn't figure out whose job it was now. And I love that. It, it gets run over by, like, four different cars. It's really great. Uh, Walter is now missing. That's the bad toupee neighbor. And they only know that because uh, Mrs. Rumsfield found the dog and the dog is like dirty. Yeah, it looks like it hasn't been fed or taken care of in any way, which we find out later they like ran to the hospital. But somebody could have left a bowl of kibble for this mutt. Like, it's not that hard to do that. Yeah, also, like, I haven't figured, like, I don't see a doggy door of any kind. So that means they just left with the dog outside. Yeah, pretty bad dog ownership from a guy who seems pretty doting on his dog. They sneak into his house and Bruce Stern cuts a window out and has it with a, one of those big suction it's, cup things. Yeah, he looks like a like a, a cat burglar. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and then they they, they kind of rifle all through this man's house. Uh, do do, do tries to steal something from well, him? He it's, also instantly lights up a stogie, and I was like, "Hey, yeah. <laughs> we're trying to be subtle." <laughs> also, this is not your house. <laughs> so they they make a mess, and then Tom Hanks uh, is like, "All right, everyone out. This is dumb." Yeah, and I do like, like the one. I do like the one bit just before they leave the house. Uh, Rick Ducommon grabs the cookies out of the fridge and then the door gets swung open. It's like, it's like not a regular door. It's a you know, swing door. And it just, the, the plate of cookies just explodes. It shatters. It's, it really breaks. Uh, and so he's trying to write a note that's like, Hey, Walter, your dog's at my house. Like it's okay. Oh, they find his toupee. That's the other thing. Yeah, they found his toupee, and they're like, oh, man, something bad must have happened. What's funny is the first draft of the note, he's like, hey, Walter, we found your dog. We broke the window because we thought something was wrong. Is the way better note to leave. Oh, it's it's subtle. It's it's solid. It's clean. Instead, he says, Walter, I have your dog. Yes. And then puts it back through the mail slot with his toupee. Because honestly, if a, if a neighbor who doted on their dog went missing and their dog was found running around and you picked up their dog. My first instinct is they have died. Yes, of course. Like something tremendously bad has happened. So breaking in and being like, I'll pay for this window. And if, if nothing is wrong and this is just a big misunderstanding, I'll pay for this window. There's a very reasonable note to leave. Like, Hey, I'm really sorry. I was very concerned or, you know, call the police you yeah, know, that and, too. Or, 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 or call anyone to come check on this. Uh, but this this so Tom goes back home and he has this great channel flip where he's like, it's just a murderous row of horror movies. You got Texas Chainsaw 2 on there. You what, got The Exorcist. What was the first one? I was going to ask if you looked it up because I, I did not. I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah. This is also that's also right after um the the what's the neighbor's name? Rick. Rick Ducommon. Rick is giving uh he gives tom hanks a book of demonology and satanism oh yeah yeah yeah. to be like they're satanists over there and i was like that is a big leap yeah no it, it i wanted more i to... wanted more connective tissue between where we were and their satanists yeah i guess what it is is they're too old to be like oh it's a dracula you know, and so it has to be a people thing, and they're just like, "What's the weirdest they just people thing?" I don't get why. I don't get why they're murderers. Like, I don't get yeah. why. Yeah, any no, yeah, of these I adults get were like Satanists. Like, yes, they're just murderers. And then, it, and then it turns out that they are Satanists, which or they are at least making human sacrifices, which is like, well, buck no, they're wild. just murderers. Oh, is that the deleted scene version? I'm I watched the deleted scene version, so maybe I'm getting the endings mixed. Yeah, up. I didn't get that. Okay, all right. Maybe I messed that up. There's also okay. a great where he says succubus and incubus, and I was like, "Yes, no one on sc- no one on set knew how to pronounce that <laughs> word. Apparently not." The, the Satan is our friend. Satan is our pal. Ad lib is is it was one of the big ad libs Joe Dante mentioned after he passed. Mm. He like did a Twitter thread, but Tom Hanks is like trying to ignore him and humming, and he's like singing lyrics to Tom's humming. And we get a great dream sequence. Yeah, this this is par excellence dream sequence. It's a it's a it's up there with a uh, with a Wes Craven dream sequence. Tom Hanks getting strapped down to a human sized Weber kettle with glowing coals underneath is just doing it for me. Yeah, in terms of absurdity, I love a big prop 
like nothing, nothing oh more exciting God. than me to a big prop. That's like latent honey. I shrunk the kids ruining my brain. I think <laughs> they're just like any, any, any large prop I'm way into big I fork, big this spoon sequence was the inspiration for, um, that moment in the Bob's Burgers Halloween episode where they scare Louise. It definitely feels like it to me. I, yeah. Uh, and uh, in a similar animation note, the, Actress who plays Mrs. Rumsfeld is the wife on American, American Dad. Dad, and she got that role because Seth MacFarlane just really likes this movie. <laughs> I mean, hey, it, it's it's a great voice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this in the dream sequence, he also sees Walter, the bad toupee neighbor, with a like a one of those like Halloween headbands with an axe on it, and, and the dog too. There's a tiny little <laughs> one for the dog. <laughs> It's so good. I also love Dick Miller's second scene where he's taking out the trash can that that man and his dog are in. He yes. just like drags it off set. It's delightful. But this dream sequence ends and we get Tom Hanks watching. Doing some character research. <laughs> yeah, he's watching Mr. Rogers. And I was like, oh, I bet the IMDb trivia has somebody being like, um, did you know that in this movie he watches Mr. Rogers and then 30 years to the day almost later he played Mr. Rogers? It's in the IMDb trivia three distinct times. Is it three times? There are three entries cataloging the fact that he watches Mr. Rogers and then one day he played Mr. Rogers. For the love of God... And I say this as a guy with an 80s movie podcast. Get a hobby. (laughs) Go outside. Oh, we also forgot to mention that um, a very like Norma Batesy figure from the top floor of the of the neighbor house watched Tom Hanks write the note about the dog. Right, right. So he he knows that the neighbors uh, know who he is, basically. And then Rick and Mr. Rumsfield slide a note under the it's like a front a side front door on their house yes this this house has many doors it's a farce waiting to happen and they slip a note that apparently says like we know who you are what is wait what's the one from silver bullet i know who you are kill yourself (laughs) yes that's the one from silver bullet i know what you (laughs) are. i know what you are kill yourself yes this one's not much better it's we know what you did yeah and so tom hanks is like he goes uh rick goes to tell tom hanks and Tom Hanks is like, great, they literally watched me write the note to uh, Walt that we, ha- hey, your dog's with me, so now they're going to think I wrote this note too. Yeah, yeah. And th- there's also, so that's when Tom Hanks is asleep, right? That's like one of his first freakouts of the movie? Right after. He's, he's, so he, oh, he's asleep on the lawn chair. Yeah, and he's, he has, <laughs> there's a six pack next to him, four of them are empty, and he's asleep, and I'm like... Not a bad little Saturday. That's a good Saturday. <laughs> That's a good Saturday. Four beers and a nap. Hello. But he has maybe it's three, but at least two A plus plus Tom Hanks yelling freakouts, which mm. is his like movie thing. He doesn't pee in this movie. He pees in most of his movies. He he goes to go pee. Yes, he does. He doesn't actually, but he does. But him, that's Tom Hanks is like just like Tom Cruise is always running. Tom Hanks is. A plus plus at freaking out, and his voice has this very like they even do it in uh, Toy Story. Yeah, it's where you they are have a toy. Woody. Yeah, 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 yeah. The big and it, but in Toy Story, he does like Tom Hanks's yell includes arms at like a like a not quite a YMCA, Almost like a little a wider than that. Yeah, it's like a wide Y, but it's like a 
throw the arms out to punctuate your words when he does it. Mm-hmm. And they even do that in Toy Story, which made me very chuckle. Like, this is a very Woody yell oh, here. Like, I wrote the note. They saw me do it. <laughs> like, arms flailing. I'm doing it now, which obviously none of you can see, but you can imagine what it looks like. So the dog has been grabbing something and bringing it back to them, and they keep throwing it absentmindedly, and then they yeah. realize it's a human femur. <laughs> and they're like, oh my god, this is Walter. And they, it does a bunch of crash zooms. I love it so much! <laughs> it's such a fun, fun little bit here of, like, just cranking that thing, like, high to low to, to do the zoom-ins. In and out, it's in a, and out. It's, it's really uncommon to do that, but man, does it work like a like just gangbusters here. It's so good. Joe Dante knows what he's doing. Right. But it's like that move only works in a, in, in a Joe Dante movie, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the exact Joe Dante cross section is where that works. Carrie Fisher comes through with her uh, level-headed logic of, hey, everyone shut up, you grown men acting like babies. <laughs> They do get a nice bit of business where Tom's trying to run away from the femur and she's trying to come outside and he Mm -hmm. gets whacked with the door. It's one of the very few things she gets to do in this movie. So I want to make sure we highlight it. Like she, she, she does a great little bit here with him. So Mrs. Rumsfield is like, I'll make brownies and comes out in these like red pedal pushers with a like big sleeve, white red polka dot blouse and a, a tie in her hair. She's dressed like it's the 50s a lot in this movie, I feel like. Yes. Well, that's that's the suburbia life that we're kind of skewering here. The like leave it to yeah. like the fact that this was shot on the same sets as Leave It to Beaver is not surprising to me. You're right. I also think there like first of all, this scene is shot with a gorgeous crane shot. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's a really awesome overhead. But uh, and you get a, a view of the trash at the very end, which I like. But Bruce Dern, it's it's one of those little tiny things that you know actors do little things that are sometimes the difference between a performance being good and a performance being great and he is holding these cookies in this like absurd exaggerated waiter style with his arm at like a 90 degree angle but the cookies up over his head it's or brownies almost, excuse me it's almost like he's wading through a like when you see soldiers wading through a swamp with their gun over their yes. head yes and 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 it's it, it's very silly. It's like the stupidest way you could carry this tray of brownies, but he fully commits to it and he's walking in sort of this like, you know, like over exaggerated military way. And I just it's it, like I said, it's just one of those little things that you maybe don't notice the first 17 times you watch the movie. Mm-hmm. But later you're like, oh, he's doing this little bit of business here that really makes this character stand out a little bit. Yeah. So uh, Malachi opens the door and Carrie Fisher's like, these are brown. These brownies are for you. Is your mom home? And just walks inside. Yeah, she's not having it. She's sick of this business. We're, we're getting to the bottom of it. There's got to be a woman in here who can set this business straight. Yeah. And so this is my first thought was like, oh, is this a Frankenstein? Like, is 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 someone building a mother? Oh, that would be a weird twist for this. Because yeah. it's it's Malachi, his uncle and his grandfather. Right. Or brother or dad. Is the doctor supposed to be Malachi's dad? They do specifically say this, and I didn't write it down. I think that the two men are brothers. Well, he's so I think, Uncle Reuben. Right. I think you have it correct. I think it's dad, son, and uncle. Okay. Uncle Reuben, ha- like, uh, just his Wikipedia, he has a fucking crazy life. Really? Hit me with it. Yeah. Uh, as much as I can remember offhand, 
Um, he was in Warsaw when Hitler invaded and was in a Jeez. wealthy Jewish family and ended up having to sign away his family's entire fortune for like one Reichsmark. Whoa. And then snuck out. I'm missing the detail, the finer details. Please go look it up. Somehow snuck out of there with the help of Albert Einstein, who was his mother's lover, allegedly. Whoa. Yeah. And was like, got him a, a secret visa to go to London, where he went from from London to New York. And where he played That's chess. amazing. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And then uh, there's some dodgy spots where like, they're like, this has no, some of his, some of the stuff in his wiki is like, there's no note, like citation. No documentation. Yeah, other yeah, yeah. than his word. That he, right, right. There's right. one that was like, he beat 30 different people at chess in the same, like playing three different people at the same time and they're like there's no documentation of this <laughs> i mean if you were very good at chess and you were just playing chess against a bunch of you know goofuses in a park you could probably do that well you know, I that's think not insane he was a, a a janitor at stanford and isn't that a movie uh, isn't that a uh goodwill, goodwill? hunting yes. yeah i don't think it's stanford but it's the same premise yeah that's awesome. I mean, that's, yeah. that sounds like a crazy cool life. I'll have to go read that later. I kind of skimmed his IMDb, but I didn't. I didn't get over to the wiki. Apparently, he was like a comedian who did weird stream of consciousness monologues. Like he seems, mm. based on what I read briefly, it seemed like he was sort of anti-comedy before yeah, anti-comedy yeah. was a thing. Yeah, no. I, based on that, yeah, that seems like it. So they they're all having this little powwow, and while they're doing it. Rick Ducommon is trying to sneak over the fence at the same time, which is just bizarre. It's so weird. Uh, Bruce Dern rips a piece of wallpaper off. Like it's a little loose and he's playing with it. And it's just, and I was like, Oh, that's uh, probably something you need to apologize for. Yeah. I, I, I was waiting for him to like lick his fingers and like rub the back and try and stick uh-huh. it and push it back. Yeah. Up. Yeah. That's the move. Absolutely. Tom Hanks, this part so the Malachi comes in with snacks, which is a bowl of pretzels and a tin of sardines. And these sardines are made to be maximum disgusting because it's a movie. Mm-hmm. Not that a sardine on a pretzel is necessarily a snack that I would want to eat. But the it's ladies the, the are like... The bones kind of ruin it for me. Have you had one? I don't remember if I had sardines or anchovies, but I bought them once because they were like, it's a keto snack. And I was like, I'll try it. And I had literally bought, I bought them at Aldi. Because I was like, this is going to be the cheapest. I put one bite in my mouth and I th- almost threw up. <laughs> it's like anchovies crunchy. are really great for cooking. I don't. I think you must have had a sardine if it was crunchy. It must have been a sardine. There was some crunch to it and I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, anchovies basically dissolve in hot oil. They're really good for making like spaghetti aioleo taste. Mm-hmm. It has like an umami thing that it does. <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, I remember you, the play you directed had a whole running gag with sardines. Oh yeah, noises which- off. Yeah, I was curious. I was curious if I was hoping you were going to be like, actually, during Noises Off, we all ate a sardine, which so I was we, like, oh, that kind be cute. of did once. The woman who played Dottie, the older woman, to our first rehearsal, she brought a very nice whiskey. Yeah. And made little canapes that were like sardine, pu- not puree, because that sounds gross, but it was like a sardine yeah. sort of like mashed pate y- on a yeah, yeah. or something like, else. Yeah, so yeah. we all had a bite of this. It was really lovely. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure prepared like that. It was nice. But so he, this Malachi hands this tin to Carrie Fisher and the other actress who, unfortunately, whose name I've forgotten. And he's like sardine, and they're like, no, no, Wendy Shaw. And then t- thank you. Uh, and Tom Hanks is like, okay. And man, the this sound is exactly- design. 
yes, the sound design is impeccable. But this is much like, you know, talking about Bruce Dern with the thing. This is the most elaborate, ridiculous way you could try to do this, right? Like, he can't grip it. And you can clearly see that he can't get a grip on the sardine. So this thing that should take a second takes, like, five. And you can see him get mad about how long it's taking to do this (laughs) thing he doesn't want to do. And then his hands are covered with, like, room temperature or cold olive oil. Like, it's like how coconut oil is at room temp. Like, it's, like, thick and Mm paste-like. And so he's got this fish oil all over his fingers and this sardine. And he puts it on a pretzel and he eats it and he is instantly horrified by what he has just put in his mouth and he's like trying to wipe his fingers off it's one of those things where like i said it's like you take a great you take a good performance and you make it great when you do these little tiny things that again mm-hmm. you probably don't notice the first five times you don't consciously notice but it's like man he's doing so much with this little piece he's been given here yeah and like i said that sound design is perfect it's squelchy and squitchy and crunchy yeah <laughs> And then he has this like fish fit where he's like coughing and choking it's on it. It's supposed to be a sneeze. And I was like, those are the weirdest sneezes I've ever heard. Yeah. It's hard to fake sneeze. Yeah. It is not the easiest thing. I feel like you can't really do it without being Looney Tunes-esque. A little bit. I was in a show where a girl, the nun had to sneeze. And then the line was, it was like, the nun sneezes. And the woman says, thank you, sister. And we're like, that's just, it's Tennessee Williams. So I'm sure there's like a hundred meanings to it. We don't know. Every single night, someone was like, that was a really good save when that girl sneezed on stage. (laughs) That's nice. That's funny. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that, that might even be why it's in there. Oh, yeah. So we have this like weird parlor scene where the doctor who we haven't, scene yet he makes this big theatrical bella lugosi entrance the this actor was nominated for best actor in the movie nashville by robert altman which many people listening might know but uh and he was in he was the grandfather in luck of the irish (laughs) yeah you stole my joke (laughs) oh i thought you were going the blues brothers no i was gonna say but what the two people on this podcast know him for the most is playing the grandfather in the disney channel original movie isn't he a leprechaun he's the leprechaun he's the he's like leprechaun grandfather who's turning back into a leprechaun because they stole the gold i thought you were gonna go for blues brothers sorry (laughs) no he is also he is well he is phenomenal in the blues brothers as the uh the illinois nazi but uh yes i i every time i see this guy my brain's first thing is like hey look at the irish which is just i'm, stupid I'm glad i totally assumed yeah. your first thought would have been uh would have been blues brothers no i mean my brain does go there very shortly after but it's always it's luck of the trip. irish yes so he's like I thought the candles would make things romantic or not romantic. Yeah, he says romantic uh, for the women. Romantic. Okay. And they turn to the table and it's like 50 pillar candles in a on a lazy on a plate. Yeah, yeah. Just a, it's like a small bonfire in the middle of the table. <laughs> and then so there there's some business where he's like I'm a painter and they have Rumsfeld Holding a painting that, like, very obviously to anyone with eyeballs has a top and a bottom. Yeah. And he's, like, rotating it. Like, he can't figure out. I'm like, it's not an abstract piece. It's a. Right. It's a surgery. Right. Yeah. It's very obvious what the painting is and what direction it should be. It's very, very weird. Uh, oh, also, we missed the bit where he like shakes hands with Tom Hanks and it looks like it's blood. And mm-hmm. then that's how we. Oh, by the way, I'm a painter, which I thought is pretty good. Uh, Tom Hanks spills his uh, tea or coffee on himself and then runs yeah. to go to the bathroom and a giant dog appears. 
Yes, it's a huge dog. Really scary looking. It's a, Is it a Great Dane? It's like a Scooby-Doo dog, a Marmaduke? It's It definitely looks like that. And it also has like a little bit of a German Shepherd-y vibe to it. Like mm-hmm. it's got those sort of pointed up ears. I don't know nearly enough about dogs to be Me able to either. pinpoint it. But it but it's in that it's in that vein of like big, big aggressive dog breed. Um, I also really like Bruce Dern. Like they're the, the three people, Tom Hanks, uh, Carrie Fisher and, and Shaw are all trying to like get information sort of like subtly and on the down low. And Bruce Dern's like, so why are you cutting up people in your basement? Yeah. It's, it, I'm like, Hey buddy, this is a, this is a, uh, an espionage mission, right? Not a scorching. I don't know. We're coming in quiet, not at maximum decibel. Yeah. Uh, but this leads to a cool thing where like the dog is chasing them and we see Rick do common in the backyard and the dog is chasing him and he runs into the fence. And then suddenly there's like all these lights and sirens and just so much noise. Mm-hmm. There's, that's where there's a trip wire at the top of the fence that turns the house into Lori Strode's house from Halloween 2018. Yeah. 2018. 18. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that's exactly what it is. So the men are upstairs having a powwow and there's a lot of this like sort of bullshit of like, oh, take your balls out of your wife's well, purse and blah, blah, blah. Carrie Fisher's like, look, we there was nothing there. We need to leave these people alone. And Tom Hanks is like, you're right. Let me talk to the men in the den. Yeah. And and they think he's like, oh, like all whipped and they're making like and chicken noises and stuff. And then Tom Hanks reaches into his very, very small shorts and yeah, pulls out Walter's thing. Yeah, there is not a lot of space in these. As a wearer of tiny shorts, yeah. I don't know where you're hiding that thing. You couldn't put a credit card in that thing. No, maybe a credit card. And he pulls out Walter's toupee and is like, see, they got him. And his mail. Oh, yes, yes. The bills. And this is the point where I was like, okay, I would at this point I'm thinking it's a murderer. Like if yeah. I were in the world of the movie, I'm like, oh no, this is like that is what my mind goes to. Yeah. And so they But I vow- do love that the entire time that this happens, like this is three dudes who definitely like could just call the cops, right? Like it's so Easily weird to me. Cops. It's so weird to me that this movie never has them do that. And and it's always this sort of Hardy Boys business. Like, we're going to catch the murderers. Yeah, I don't... I needed a... I would have loved a moment of that. Of, like, we can't call the cops or... Yeah. Even I if guess it was like, I guess hey, it's... let's call the cops. And Rumsfeld is like, I, don't, I have unlicensed guns in my basement. You can't do yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit like where the kid calls the cops in Fright Night and is like, my neighbor's a vampire. Mm-hmm. They don't have great evidence, per se, but they did find a man who they think is dead's toupee over there. Yeah, they, like, hey, the toupee was in the neighbor's house, now it's here. Yeah. Cut to the next morning, and the Klopeks are leaving, and immediately Bruce Dern is like, there's also a great shot in, in in Feldman sunglasses. There's a reflection. Oh of yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that is really awesome well, looking. I think there was the implication that they were going to move again. Oh, he does. He does say that I they have to go away the or something like that. He 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 intimates that they're going to be away for some time, like more than. Well, just he says a we're going to the visit. local college tomorrow. To we're going to to a college tomorrow to talk about registration re. 
registration or something. Yeah, yeah. And Carrie Fisher says, like, oh, it's a shame that we, we didn't get to know you better. And I was like, so are they moving again? Yeah, it does. It does at least imply that he's going to be away for some time, although they don't get exactly to it. Um, but Tom is basically like, look, you you take the kid and you go do something, anything. I'm going to go play golf. And she's like, you hate golf. He's like, yeah, but I'm going to play it anyway. And then Ducommon like, comes Carrie, over. You know, this is a sham. <laughs> right. Uh, meanwhile, Ducommon comes over dressed like uh, a golfer. A from golfer. 19, yeah. From like 1944. Like, this is what Gene Belcher would wear if they absolutely. Were going yes. Yes, absolutely. Now I want to see that episode. Yes. So they're like, okay, we know they're gone. We know they have this crazy security system. So we're going to climb the power utility pole, cut the power line with bolt cutters, and then, you know, go ahead in. And I was like, all right, this is like a pretty big leap for I this. I can't no? believe this. <laughs> so he climbs up there. It's like there. the scene it's, in Small uh, Soldiers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Joe Dante. Joe Dante. Yeah. So... Uh, Rick Ducommon climbs this thing or the utility pole and he cuts it and gets just absolutely just zapped to shit and launched off this thing and crashes through a shed. I was like, oh, is he dead? <laughs> yeah, I thought he, I honestly thought he was. But instead he comes out and his helmet is melted. His glove fingertips are all missing and his fingernails are all black. It's very good. Yeah, it's a great design. Um. I thought we were going to get so um, f- uh, Rumsfeld holds up the walkie talkie that is the size of a small boombox. Yes. And he shows them siren mode. And I was like, oh, is that we're going to get check off siren mode? No, we're not. And uh, he climbs up onto his roof to like be the, the eagle in the sky or whatever. And Feldman is sitting on the the, f- the railing of his porch there's splashes of red paint on the pillar yes. to his right and splashes of blue paint on the pillar to his left. And I was like, I don't what's going to happen when your parents come home? <laughs> yeah, this is like buck wild choices for pillar painting. So they're digging up the backyard. There is there I, was it no, right here. Tom Hanks is digging up the backyard. This yes. is where I wrote art is pissing me off. Yeah. Is this the spot where there's a really good like little movie magic bit where I don't know if it's here or the first time he climbs the fence, but Art goes over the fence and then someone throws something to him and we don't see the impact. Oh, it's the first but, time he did it. The, okay. the pickaxe comes over the fence. Yeah, but we see the axe get tossed and we know like where he is standing. It's going to hit him. And then we hear a clatter and like, ow, it's it's just like, I like that. what are those like they would do it on SNL so someone doesn't have to get hit kind of thing. Uh-huh. I you know just a good little framing joke, but anyway, you're right. Tom Hanks is doing all of the work here, uh, digging up the backyard, which is a lot of work. Yeah. So they decide to break into the house and use a try to use a credit card, but like I don't think the credit card trick works on deadbolts. The credit card trick doesn't really work on anything. It works. No, on it does. A very it specific. It works on a very specific type of interior lock. Yeah, because um, I used it in high school to break into the costume closet all the time to do work and stuff. Ah, uh, yeah, it works on a very specific type of lock, but uh, like very easily preventable because obviously people want doors that are more secure than that. Mm-hmm. And we get a Dutch angle. Yeah, yeah. He, Tom Hanks punches through a window when the credit card trick doesn't work and they just full on break and enter. Why not? Uh, and Feldman's- in the basement is 
the furnace from Home Alone, I think. But also from a crematorium? Oh, yeah. This is the side of a, of a small car, or a large car. It's the size of like a 1950s era Cadillac. Yeah. Um. So this is what I don't understand. They then, they like, they go, oh, the whole house is running on batteries and show some weird like roughshod like, yeah. paneling situation. And they're like, the whole house is running on this. And I was like, what's the implication with that? Like, I don't get it. I... I thought they were trying to say that they're using so much power that they're like, they're trying to not show it on the grid kind of the oh. way how like, that's how they catch people growing pot back. Like if the house suddenly has a huge power draw, they're like, Oh, they must be running. Oh, really? like, there must never, be a reason hmm. They people have been caught growing weed because you use those like grow lights that draw a lot of energy. And mm-hmm. people who are like, not someone who's growing like a weed for himself, but someone who is growing like many weeds to sell and distribute. Yeah. Is it, people have been caught that way. So that's kind of what I was thinking. Like they're trying to keep it a secret of how much power they're using, but it's, it's, it's an odd detail that it doesn't get explained. Yeah. Um, so Feldman has been oh, watched. Oh, oh, I figured it out just now as we were talking about it. They have to say it's running on battery power because they cut the power to the house and then otherwise they oh. wouldn't be able to use this stuff. That's Got the reason. It. <laughs> There we go. Um, so Feldman has been inviting someone. Someone over. is putting a phone back into the pocket. <laughs> like there was, there was a tweet being like, "You ding dong," and they were just like, "Oh nope, he got there." Um, Feldman keeps inviting people over to watch Rumsfeld watch the house to the point where it's just a small party. <laughs> yeah, like a apparently, tailgate sort of. Apparently, this movie is credited with the iter- the creation of the phrase "pizza dude." That's Allegedly. nonsense. I saw that too. That's absolutely nonsense. Like th- th- this movie did not coin the phrase "pizza dude." I'm sorry. It just it's yeah. impossible that that's true. Because that was a Feldman ad lib, right? I mean, it's a good line. It's a good ad lib, but I just there's just no way. Mm-hmm. Bruce Dern. So as this is happening, Corey Feldman's like yelling up to him on the roof. He takes a wicked stunt fall. It's off a this good roof. fall. Obviously, it's a stunt person, but the doubling is so good that you honestly can't tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Feldman at this point tells him that he's cut out power to the whole neighborhood, and they're like lighting candles and using lanterns and things like that. Yeah. The Klopex come home just enough to see that the basement lights are on and drive away to get the police. He turns his lights off, too, which is like the silliest thing, because his car is basically Dragula, and it's yeah. billowing smoke. Uh, and then they see Walt came home from the hos- from the hospital. It see- it turns out right, right. The Rick Ducommon du- went out to get something because they're digging a hole in the basement, and they get to the point where they've hit like muck and whatnot. It's it's full of water, and he's like, "All right, Tom Hanks, you gotta you, you gotta call it. They're not nobody will bury him this deep. This is crazy." And then Tom Hanks hits metal, and it's like, "I found it! I found it!" And I kept going like, "Why do you think he's buried in metal?" Yeah. What what about this makes you think he's in metal? Well, I think they thought it, the the I am the Wikipedia says he thought it was a crypt. Yeah, no, I get that that's what he thinks, but why does he think he's in a crypt? I don't know. So Walt is home, which means the whole crux of the theory was that like is is, is shattered. Right. They and killed our neighbor. Went, oh, the neighbors 100% were just asked to collect the mail. <laughs> That's yeah, it's good that you figured that out. I've seen this before and I didn't remember that detail. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's what happened. That's why the neighbors had it. 
It's weird that they asked the neighbors in the house that looks like the Munster's house and not any other neighbor, but yeah, whatever. Well, I wonder if it's because Rumsfield doesn't like Walt. That could be. It could also be that they came back at night and the weird, creepy kid was outside or something. Oh, maybe, yeah. Um, so the Klopeks drive up with the police in tow. With the police, as Tom Hanks realizes he hit a gas line with his pickaxe. Well, just before he hits the, the gas line, there's the shot from Jurassic Park with the Barbasol can that they're like throwing he he's like throwing mud oh the with, thing the, and the, with the walkie talkie and they're like tom hanks it's it's not walter get out of there get out of there uh so he runs out the door he runs to the front door as the whole house explodes and it's a beautiful explosion really magnificent i love especially this little tower coming crumbling down it's like a lightning rod on the house yeah 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 the makeup on on tom hanks is gnarly when he comes out of that explosion he looks yeah messy his shirt is all full of holes he's he's very uh wily coyote after an explosion yeah but except but he's a person so like one eye is like squeezed shut his missing hair on the one side yeah and who shows up as the police officer but the nemesis, the patriarch of this podcast, Rance Howard. Damn you, Rance! <laughs> Honestly, I think he's fine. Like, hey, it's of, like four of, lines, whatever. Yeah, also, he's he's got a much more Clint energy than he does uh, BDH energy. Who, by the way, directed Great another director. very, very good episode. Another very good episode of The Mandalorian. Maybe Bryce that's Dallas just Howard. it. Maybe she's just not a good actress, but a great director. I'd be fine with that. I honestly think her direction is more interesting than her dad's, and everybody freaks out about his talent. So, at least in those two episodes, yeah. um, this leads to the final Hank's freak out, where he just is like at a ten out of ten, and and at this point, it, it, as I alluded to before. The movie could have two completely opposite endings and both would be justified. I, I almost wish it did end this time. What, do you would you rather it end that they're just weirdos and they were all loopy out of their minds? Or do you uh-huh. prefer that they're actually the bad guys? So I think the bad the only only because I I think the movie needed five more minutes to wrap up the bad guy thing. Yeah, I agree like, with that. It is I kind wanted of an explanation away. of why they murdered this old cup like. Do they just murder fam? Like, is there like an MO? Like, I wanted a little more of that. But I loved the idea that because Tom Hanks says he's like, they're not the problem. We're the problem. We spent our whole week like torturing and 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 spying on these people who were just living their life because they're weird. Right. They're allowed to be weird. Leave them alone. So the so this is that this leads to Tom Hanks like he jumps on the stretcher and then he hops back up, picks it up, throws it in the ambulance and gets out on it face first, which is very funny. Uh, that was the ad lib we talked about earlier. So this yeah. is where the two endings differ. And since you didn't watch the other one, I'll just quickly right here describe what happens with the other one, which I think is kind of interesting. So Tom I didn't Hanks know there is in was the ambulance. A second ending. Yeah, I, I I discovered that there was, and I was curious what it, what it was. I don't I don't think I like it better, but it does answer your questions. So, Tom Hanks is in the back of the ambulance, and the 
Dr. Klopek is there. You hear like a glove snap and Tom turns and it's Dr. Klopek. And he's like, I'm going to take very good care of you. And he picks up this syringe and then he starts like monologuing about how he uh, killed the like much like he does in the cut of the movie that exists. He talks about like he killed the name. Okay. In the real, in the actual movie ending, does he say that he killed the neighbors? Yeah, he says, uh, "I let you keep the femur, but I want my skull back." I murdered the Pats okay. or whatever the hell the neighbors were. Then I think it's the Naps. The Naps. He's like, yeah. "I killed them, uh, so I need this skull back." Okay, so he doesn't do talk about the skull, but he does talk about killing them, and he's like, "And now I'm gonna kill you because you, you know, you know, put a foil, you foiled my plans." Mm-hmm. And so they're like fighting with the syringe in the back of the of the ambulance meanwhile carrie fisher convinces rick uh Ducommon to apologize even though he's like he tried to kill me and and she's like come on you started this go apologize they open the back of the van and they catch him like in the act of trying to kill tom hanks oh. and then they you know they pull him out and he confesses and he talks about making sacrifices he's like you know what's the problem with making a few sacrifices here and there oh yeah, that's, that's, that's that version ending. I like better because I understand what's going on more. Yeah. In the actual ending of the movie, um, they get like ejected out of the back of the Malachi drives the tries to drive away. So Tom Hanks yes. is like fighting off Dr. Klopek while grabbing Malachi and it makes the ambulance. Like, they also keep cutting to the crowd and like Carrie Fisher and the police watching this ambulance serpentine. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> no one's going to stop it. Well, how how do you stop a moving car as a pedestrian? Uh, get into your cop car and and try and and cut it yeah, off. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I like guess something something's that. wrong with this ambulance. Yes. Yeah. For sure. At the very least, arrest it for drunk driving. Right. Tom Hanks does not have the type of injury that necessitates this kind of driving. He he, yeah. he put himself in that ambulance. Yeah. And so they crash into uh art's house and then tom hanks and uh grandpa from luck of the irish rocket out the back on the gurney <laughs> yes for like a long time it's like nearly it's, the yeah. length of a roller coaster that they're zipping down the street um and klopek's like you have no proof of anything and Corey feldman opens the trunk and it's full of it's like full to the brim of bones uh, I the other thing I found out in terms of alternate endings, I did not find footage of this, but apparently in one version it was a bunch of dead cheerleaders, and then in another version it was Dick Miller. Yes, yeah, and, which and, I uh, would have preferred. Carver. Yeah, I, I do Give think Mick Dick, Dick Miller a day rate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He can have a third day. It's fine. He's very talented. Um, this is sillier, and I think matches the tone of the movie best. Like, I, I think know, seeing I think, a bloody corpse is sort of not what we're doing here. But I think I think if Dick Miller and Picardo are doing goofy faces covered in blood. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or maybe they're not covered in blood. Maybe they're just, like, in there. The, like, yeah. the tongue out, like, ball. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. I don't want them to be, like hacked up like they can't be blood I, don't, I honestly think they should be basically bloodless oh, like see, maybe there's I don't a mind little... them being bloody but like they're both their body is just like strewn strewn across the like in the trunk yeah yeah i'd but be I fine don't understand like there are so many skulls oh like, yeah so many bones oh yeah 
rib Whose cages. Bones are these? The, yeah, exactly. He, Why are he they killed, in the trunk? <laughs> if he killed the naps, that's like two people. Who are all these other folks? There's like five to six skulls. Right, right. Uh, but th- you know, that's the end. Like, uh, we, we see as we're, uh, walking back, Tom Hanks is shuffling down the street with Carrie Fisher. Uh, Rick Ducommon is giving a big speech to the TV of like, all oh, you weirdos stay out of the suburbs. We'll get you. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, that's, that's it. We, we got a fourth of, wall know. break that we didn't need. Wait, what happens to fourth wall break? I think I missed that. Uh, Tom Hanks says to Corey Feld, Corey Feldman's like, where are you going, Tom Hanks? It's just starting to get good. And Tom Hanks is like, we're going to go on vacation. Just me and my wife, not my child. Keep an eye <laughs> on the neighborhood for me. And so they walk away and then Corey Feldman walks a few steps and turns down the barrel of the camera and is like, I love this street. <laughs> I Okay, I was looking down and making a note. I guess I missed him turning the camera and saying it. I do love that that's the final line. Yeah, I don't mind the final line. I just didn't need a fourth wall break for that. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Final thoughts? It's such a weird little movie. I like it. Yeah, I I, I really really love this movie. I I remembered liking this movie, and after watching it this time, I've upgraded to I I love this movie. It's it's got really good Tom Hanks business. It's got some really fun supporting cast stuff. It's genuinely pretty perfectly cast. It'd be nice if Carrie Fisher had more to do. I don't yeah. think it's a huge, huge detriment to the movie that this is a boy movie. Like it, it, it is a boys what it club is. movie. Yeah. It's, it's a movie about the little rascals who are happen to be all in their thirties mm-hmm. and fifties or whatever. Yeah. So I think that's fine. Really? Like, and, and every little supporting player does like we talked already about, uh, Shaw and how Tom Hanks did to get it. I, I like, I think she's really good at that part. I think Corey Feldman's really good at his part. Obviously we love Dick Miller no matter what he does, but this is a good Dick Miller. Like mm-hmm. he's annoyed. He's, he's had enough of this shit as a trash World man. Weary and beaten yes. down, but beaten yes. back. Dick Miller is a good right. Dick Miller, which is a perfect, perfect way uh, attitude for a garbage man to have like it's reasonable mm-hmm. that he would feel this way uh that's a hard job especially in the era when you actually like throw trash cans around before they had the automated oh, yeah. trucks like that's a hard backbreaking job that dude's that dude's life is difficult he's up early at the crack of dawn dealing with psychos so i i that's just really good and like Joe Dante, unfortunately, hasn't made anything really great in a long while. I, I miss his stuff. I still like I still hold out hope. Like I'm still every time there's a Joe Dante thing, I'm like, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one. Right? I really enjoy um, probably like 15 years ago at this point, the screw fly solution that he made. Oh, I don't think I ever saw that. It's not it doesn't have the same kind of whimsy and joy. I will say that it is bleaker. Okay. It is a bleaker Dante. Um, but okay. it's it, the idea is that men in the world the their level of testosterone like when they get sexually aroused that arousal turns into murderous anger and they kill women what's the movie called the screw fly solution is it a movie or is it an episode of something he i feel like i've for, seen that movie. he did it for masters of horror so it's like a mini movie hmm i'm pretty sure i feel like Dante. i feel I feel like I've I, I don't know that title it's not ringing any bells but i feel like i've seen that exact thing you're describing huh i don't know yeah. It's definitely a bleaker, less whimsical Joe Dante, but it's a it's an interesting movie. Yeah, that is a Masters of Horror, so probably like an hour long, maybe. Yeah. Um. But yeah, mostly he's doing TV these days. He did. He's done like ten episodes of Hawaii Five O. Really? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not begrudging anybody getting a paycheck, right? Like, it's probably a very simple job, but I don't know, like. 
there's no Joe Dante whimsy getting inserted into 10 episodes of a Hawaii Five-0, I feel. Yeah. But I'm looking here. He's got like a couple episodes. Is he episodes involved in the Gremlins show. animated prequel that's coming to HBO Max? I don't see that listed here, which I find to be a pretty big disappointment. Yeah. Um, he did uh, a section of this movie, Nightmare Cinema, that was okay. His segment had a little bit of Joe Dante ness, not not as much as you'd you'd hope for. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Bearing the X was decent. That's like five or six years ago with um, Anton Yelchin and uh, Ashley Green and uh, Alexandra oh. Daddario. Uh, that one's decent, but I I just miss like this. Even Small Soldiers, I like I love that. Small movie. Soldiers was- has that Joe Dante whimsy. Yeah, and I was 11 when that came out. So it was, and I love GI Joe. So that was just like right down the barrel for this guy. But yeah, I love I'm just that, like, that movie did a McDonald's promo, and so everyone yeah. thought it was a children's movie. And it is. Yeah, it's the same way that Gremlins is a children's movie. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, I really, I really like. I would, I, and it could just be like maybe he's lost his fastball. That's fine. But like you know, I'm, I'm always holding out hope. That there's just like. Something's coming. Something's gonna. Something's gonna really, uh, really do it for me. I'm looking now, and apparently he uh, he directed a 4D film that was in a bunch of theme parks. Uh, R.L. Stein's Haunted Lighthouse that starred uh, Christopher Lloyd as this what? like. It's a. I'm looking at the poster, and it's like a very goofy looking fake beard Gordon's fisherman. fisherman. <laughs> but it has. L- listen to the cast of this 4D movie that aired at. Uh, SeaWorld San Diego and San Antonio and Bush Gardens Tampa Bay. Christopher Lloyd, Leah Thompson, Michael McKeon, Sarah Paxton. Like, what is this? How what? is this real? Yeah. Wow. Davi Chase. Huh. Yeah. I'm going to have to I... check this down. It's apparently like 20 minutes long. Well, it's a theme park 4D show. Yeah, no, I know. I'm just saying. Apparently, I'm gonna have to try. Maybe, I, maybe it's out there somewhere. Oh, that's gotta be. <laughs> Leah Thompson plays a character named Peg Van Leg. <laughs> I'm gonna have to track this down. Weird Al Yankovic has a cameo. I'm gonna have to track. Leah this down. Thompson this was is... also in a terrible reimagining of Little Women called. It's not Littler Women. It's like it's. I don't know. I don't remember what it's called, but it looks like hot garbage. And I was like, Leah, what are you doing? Well, she's not getting a lot of offers. That's just the nature of the business, unfortunately. Um, but I highly, highly recommend this one. This is a real hoot. It's 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 a great Tom Hanks performance. It's a mm-hmm. really fun movie. It's it's just super great. Uh, we stuck it in here with no vampire just because I. it's got kind of you could kind of you could you think they're vampires. They could be vampires for a minute. And that's exactly what I went with, but uh, I just I was just really looking forward to watching this movie. Uh, the second to last movie Tom Hanks made in the eighties. He had one more come out the same year. Hard hardworking man back in that decade. Yeah, but super super recommend I think from you too. So definitely definitely seek mm-hmm. this out if you haven't seen it. Like I said, it's currently on Showtime and also on the Roku channel, which is uh, free with ads. Even if you don't have a Roku, you can watch it on like a, a computer. Um. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to uh, check us out on uh, patreon.com slash dissecting the 80s. And uh, I I guess I have to read this mean review. Uh, so just hold on a minute and I'll, someone else called us mean things. I'll just read it very quickly. One moment. 
I did promise to read the reviews as long as they weren't hate speech. So and there, it's not, but I will say, suck my dick. It must be nice <laughs> to be a straight white man who cis. Uh, this is from Bino Frog in Great Britain. Uh, used to enjoy this podcast until they started talking woke rubbish. He's definitely a UK guy with rubbish in there. I'm not interested in far left politics or Marxism. Stick to movie reviews. Uh, one star. Movie reviews have to discuss representation. <laughs> yeah, Suck whatever. It's fine. If you don't agree, why don't you leave us a nice review? Because we've only gotten mean ones lately, and it's not fun. To yeah, those. come on. How about a nice review? If you got something nice to say, it's the holiday times. Why don't you say it to us? That'd be great. Uh, check us out on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash dissecting the 80s. We're at dissect the 80s on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you either place. Uh, you can send us an email to dissectingthe80s at gmail.com. We, we love getting feedback from y'all. And uh, thank you again for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. We have a doozy of an episode coming your way in two weeks. Movie that had multiple endings in the theater. One of my and we'll probably probably have to discuss all of them, I think. Well, the I yeah, that's how it runs now with all of them. Oh, really? Is that how it runs on cable? As far as I know, yeah, that's why you 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 get the that's how it could have, that's how it could have, but here's how it really. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes more sense. I just always assumed they picked one, but I guess that makes a lot more sense. I haven't seen Clue in a very long time. I very much enjoyed it uh, when I watched it. I remember thinking the first time I saw it on Comedy Central, like this is about the board game. Like, it's so the, we'll it's get the into most it. Mel Brooks movie Mel Brooks didn't have anything to do with, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that'll be December 14th. Uh, we will be back to talk about Clue. And uh, thank you again for listening to the show. I've been Trip Leno. I will, I will always be Andrew Leno. Until next time. Don't you forget about me. I'm going to leave in your little Bobby Brady there. <laughs> Dissecting the 80s is a chum sum of this production. Ow.